Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I think that most people, they assume that education only happens in a schoolroom. They assume that education stops once they get their degree. And I've never looked at education that way. Education is something that I'm responsible for, not something that a professor is responsible for, or that a teacher is responsible for. So I'm an autodidact. I love learning. I, I read all the time. I'm studying all the time. I'm in, I'm in my early 40s now, and I've never stopped learning. Um, I don't associate school with learning, though. In the back of your mind, your dreams should be real, right? Thanks all for tuning in to Dreamcatchers, where we make things happen. Dreamcatchers was formally launched to unlock the hidden potential in successful, self-motivated individuals who desire to take their life's work to the next level but need support to evolve. We are a collective group of professionals with various backgrounds that use our talents to assist those individuals in realizing their wildest dreams by providing education, inspiration, and direction. This podcast is where we share the lessons we've learned along the way to catching our dreams and give you some context around the how and the why to each approach to put you further ahead on the journey to catching your dream. Are you ready? Hey, everybody, and welcome to Dreamcatchers Podcast. I'm your host, Jerome, and I've got the great pleasure of having my friend Nathan Frazier on the show with me today. Nathan, how are things out in Colorado? How long is this episode out? Uh, couple, like how far? No, yeah, a couple of weeks, a couple of weeks. Okay. Well, we just started our Corona quarantine, so things were great <laughs> until today, and we'll have to see if I go stir crazy or get cabin fever or whatever happens. Wow. Wow. So, you know, for the folks that are tuning in and haven't heard about Nathan Frazier, give them a little bit of your background. Tell them about Cali and the whole deal, what you're doing now. Okay, so I am, I guess the quickest way to recap it or whatever, uh, I'm a copywriter and advertiser, and um, I come from, gosh, I, I don't want to say a rags to riches story, but a rags to better off than I ever thought I would be possible story. Uh, grew up on welfare, grew up in um, South Central Los Angeles and uh, big cities and low-income neighborhoods. And I always had, when I was a kid, don't ask me why, my dad had, had me read 1984 uh, by George Orwell. And it started this obsession in me with trying to figure out what makes people do the things that they do, how 
authoritarianism works and how uh, politicians are able to manipulate the population. And I was just always obsessed with all of that stuff and media and how media fits into it. And um, I guess at a certain point in my life, I realized, wow, I have all this understanding of how the human brain works. And I have all this understanding of how, uh, how people are basically stimulus response creatures. And I, I hated the corporate jobs. I hated working for other people. I never, I, I just don't thrive in that environment. I always wanted to be in charge of my own destiny. I always wanted to work for myself, own my own business. And so I kept starting my own businesses and failing. I, I ran three businesses into the ground before I finally realized, well, look, I have all this information. I have all this understanding of how media works. I have all this understanding of how uh, people tick and I'm refusing to use it in my business. And so I said, okay, I'm going to learn how to apply what I know to marketing and advertising. And when I did that, the, my fourth business was the one that finally took off. And now I have two, uh, one, one semi-profitable and one very profitable business. And they're both based off of direct response marketing, which is just basically advertisements that call people to action rather than just try to get the brand name out there. And so um, that's my story in a nutshell. I went from being a, a welfare collecting food stamp dependent kid to the point now where um, I'm living pretty comfortable. But again, I mean, we just started the whole coronavirus thing. So <laughs> I'd be lying if I said I was completely confident that everything is going to work out for me. Well, I mean, I appreciate your honesty because I think there's a whole lot of reality there. I don't know that anybody truly understands the impact of what the virus is and what its impact will be on the economy in particular. Mm -hmm. um, you said a lot there. You said you're a copywriter, and I don't think most people even understand what that is. And then you talked about direct response marketing. How did you find out about copywriting? It doesn't sound like something that you would get, you know, in a low income area. So were you like a great English major? Like how, how did you figure out what copywriting was? No. So my dirty little secret, I'm actually a high school dropout. I never went to college. Um, like I said, I ran three businesses into the ground. I had a record label. Me and, my, me and my little brother, when I was 19, we started our own record label. It did all right. We made a lot of money. We, we did a lot of partying as irresponsible teenagers and, and early 20s kids. Um, that business, after my brother passed away, I just couldn't do it anymore. I, at the time, I had a t-shirt business. It was when Facebook ads were first coming out and I made a decent amount of money off of Facebook ads until the algorithm changed. And then Facebook just started sucking all the money out of my wallet. Um, and then I had a software as a service company. We did a graffiti uh, a software that allowed cake decorators to put graffiti prints on top of cakes. And we left all of the distribution of that product up to one of the biggest re retailers in the world. We had a contract with them. We developed the, the software through them and tested it through their markets. And when it came time to actually launch it, 
worldwide. They wanted all of the rights, all of the intellectual property to the software. And so we were stuck in a position where the only people that were willing to market the software for us wanted to basically bend us over and, and take us for everything that we had. And that was at the time where I was, my team had worked for three years on this software. We'd put thousands of dollars into developing it. And we had a product that we had no way to sell because nobody on the team understood marketing. Nobody on the team understood advertising. And we were, we put all of our eggs in the basket of this retailer because they promised that they would get it out there for us. And I suddenly realized that it's not, we're always told if you build a better mousetrap, the world will beat a path to your door. We had built a better mousetrap and nobody was beating a path to our door. And I realized, oh, they'll beat a path to your door if they know about your better mousetrap. And so then I realized I need to learn how to advertise. I need to learn how to market. And so I started reading every single business book that I could. I started reading every single marketing book that I could. And still one of my favorite books of all time, one of the first books that I read, and I've probably gone back and reread this book 20 or 30 times. It's called Ready, Fire, Aim by Michael Masterson. And in it, he talks about copywriting being one of the most valuable uh, skills that any entrepreneur can learn. Even if you don't plan on being a copywriter, at least understanding what it is so that if you hire a copywriter, you can tell whether it's good copy versus bad copy. Um, and I was like, what's this copywriting? Because I thought it was just, uh, I have a copyright on this. Nobody's allowed to use this because I own the copyright. So when he started talking about it, I was like, that doesn't sound like what it sounds like. And so I went on this almost a 10 year journey of trying to figure out what copywriting was, how to, how to do it efficiently. And, um, through, throughout the last probably eight to nine years, I've been doing it professionally and, um, it's, it's opened up so much opportunity for me and, uh, I love it. It's, it's, probably the most enjoyable form of income generating that I've ever found in my life. So, you know, we engaged you to help us out on our Myers methods funnel and putting some ads together and a bunch of other stuff. And the first thing you came in and said is, well, when people get here, they're confused. You got like five different calls to action. They don't know what to do. And I guess that probably wasn't the first thing you said, but eventually you got to the critique. And so that was the first real critique. And so when somebody's copywriting, is it about driving them to one action? Like, what is the whole purpose and the copywriting that um, people put together in order to create the sell or whatever they're trying to move the person to do? So any piece that I ever write, I have two things in mind. I have my one goal, the one thing that I want the reader to do whenever they read the piece. And then I have their one goal. What's the one thing that they want to get out of reading the piece? So if I, want, if I want them to do something at the end, if I give them five different options and I only really want them to do one of those options when they land on a page, I've got a one in five chance because I'm giving them four different opportunities to do something different. Um, whenever they hit any single one of my landing pages or my sales pages, I only want them to have the option to do the one thing. 
I, I, I tend to not want them to be able to hit home buttons. I tend to not want them to hit an about us page. I don't want any of that stuff available. I also don't want four or five different offers or it, when they hit a, a landing page or a sales page, it's not a choose your own adventure. It's a, this is where you're going and this is the one ending you're allowed to get to. And the reason for that is I'm paying to get people to that page. I'm paying for Facebook ads. I'm paying for native advertising. I'm paying for Google pay-per-clicks or I'm paying for YouTube ads. If I'm paying to get them to the page, I want to make sure that when they get there, they're going to do what I want them to do. So I have my one goal and I don't want to confuse it. I don't want to give them a bunch of options. If people are confused, if if I think of it this way, if you walk into your house and you see that there's a stack of unopened mail on the kitchen table, you see that there's dust on the counter, you see that there's a sink full of dishes and there's a pile of laundry that needs to be washed. You look at all of this stuff and you're like, where do I even start? There's so much choice here. I don't even know where to begin. You know what? Screw it. I'm going to sit down and watch Netflix for the next three hours. Overwhelmed. Exactly. And I don't want people doing that when they come to my sales page. I don't want them seeing, well, do I click on this button to wash dishes? Do I click on this button to open the mail? When they come in, there's only one option. Hey, you need to get the laundry done. That's the only thing I want you to do. That's the only thing I want you to think about. So I have one goal that I want them to do. But then I also want to think about what's the goal that they want? What's the reason that they want to read this? Do they want to discover a secret that's been holding them back? Do they want to uh, do they want to hear a story about somebody who accomplished the thing that they want to accomplish? Do they want to envision their awesome vacation that they're going to have with their loved ones? Do they want to um, find relief for some pain that they've been dealing with for five months and they just found out that there's a solution for? What's, the, what's their drive? What's their goal? What's the one thing that they want? out of reading this. And those are my two drives for any piece of copy. What's the one thing I want them to do? And what's the one thing that they want to get out of this? And if you can, if you can clearly understand those two things, it makes writing a sales page or a landing page, even a piece of content, a, a blog post or anything like that. If you can understand what do they want for reading this and what do I want them to do after they're done reading it, then that's, that's the backbone of what makes great copywriting work. No, that's really cool. And I mean, it just sounds like clarity is kind of core for all of that. Cause if you're not clear on what they want or clear on what you're trying to get them to do, um, people get lost in the sauce. And so if I back it up, cause now that you've demonstrated you're an expert at this thing, when did you decide that? Like, I know you said earlier that, Hey, we couldn't sell, our, our, our graffiti software, anybody. And so I started learning about this, but when did you learn that you wanted to not only do this for yourself, but you wanted to do it for other people and that you could actually do it successfully? So I started buying courses and I started buying every single book that I could find on copywriting and just reading. I, 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 I searched out books that were like a hundred years old, written in the 1920s, written in the 1930s, just so I could understand where this came from. And then I started buying every book that I could find that was written in the last 10 to 15 years. Uh, then I started buying online courses and, and discovering different things. I bought, a, I bought a, an online course from this guy named Ray Edwards. 
And at the time, I was still fooling around with selling T-shirts. And I ran a Facebook ad for a T-shirt. And I, I, one of the things is when you start copywriting, you start, it kind of changes the way that you actually look at your entire business. So up until this point, I was trying to figure out how to, people to, how to get people to buy what I wanted to sell. And Ray was like, one of the things that he drives home is don't try and get people to sell or to buy, don't try and get people to buy what you want to sell, sell what people want to buy. And I was like, oh, wow, that, that like was a huge mindset shift for me. And so instead of trying to sell t-shirts that I wanted people to wear, I was like, well, what type of t-shirts are people wearing? And I started looking around and I was like, okay, kids like this type of shirt. Okay. Adults like this type of shirt. And so my next t-shirt that I ran, I designed it based off of what people were already buying. And I ran some Facebook ads. He said, uh, he told me, I reached out to him in a private message and he was like, look, if you want to know how to sell clothing, go check out what Jay Peterman does. Go to Jay Peterman's website and look at how they sell their clothes. It's all about the identity. It's, it's you wear this clothes, this piece of clothing because it says this about you. And that's what you want to hit on. You want to hit on how does wearing this piece of clothing help you identify yourself to the world. And so I, I did a t-shirt and um, I, I ran an ad based off of the way he said to write copy. And immediately the very first day I put $15 in advertising in and I got $300 back. And I was just like, holy cow for at the time, $300 was a lot of money for me to make in one day off of a $15 ad spend. I was just like, this is insane. And so I ran that shirt for about a month and a half and it pretty much stayed consistent for every $15 that I was putting in, I was pulling $300 out. And I was like, this is awesome. I can totally use this for our new software that we're putting together. And at that time, uh, one of my friends ran a Clearwater, worked for Clearwater Radio and ran, a, ran an affiliate station for them. And they were doing a fundraiser. And he said, hey, can you write an ad for our radio station? And so I wrote three 30-second spots for their radio station. And the first day that they started running them, they saw a 24% increase in their donations and in their listener support. And they're like, dude, this is the best response we've ever had. And so I, I, again, I I have to be honest, not all of my ads succeed. In fact, (laughs) I have to test a lot. Sometimes I'll run four ads or five ads before I find one that actually does a good job of converting people. But my first two, three, Two or, three, uh, two or three times out at bat, I hit home runs. And I was just like, I love doing this. So when, whenever, you, whenever you get into something and you find that you excel at it right away, uh, it's something that you enjoy doing. And that was just fortunately my, my, uh, what happened when I jumped into copywriting. I'm sure that if I tried it in, the, in my first three times, I, I swung and missed. I probably never would have gone down this path, but luck was on my side and it, uh, it drove me to continue learning more and got me to where I'm at right now. The one thing that you've said over and over again is I bought this course, I bought this book, I read this book, I tried this, I went and did more research. That doesn't sound like something a, co- a high school dropout would do. So where did you get hungry to learn? Is that out of necessity or something else? 
I've always been hungry. So I didn't drop out of high school because I hated going to school. I did hate going to school. I'm, I'm an anti-authoritarian. I don't like people telling me what to do. I don't like telling pe- people acting like they have power over me. I've just never liked it. I've never, it's not ever been something that I bought into. I don't believe that other people have power over me. It's just, it, it doesn't, it doesn't gel with the way that I look at the world. Um, I dropped out of high school because I was homeless when I was 15 and I didn't have rent money. I didn't have, I, what, I was sleeping on friends' couches and I wanted to change that. So I went and I got a full-time job and I was a manager at a Sonic drive-in and I was working 45, 48 hours a week and I couldn't afford to go to school and to work full-time. And so I quit high school about six months before I graduated Truth be told, I was failing bad. I never did good in school anyway, so I was getting C's, D's, and F's the whole time I was in high school anyways. That doesn't mean that I don't like learning. I love learning. I'm passionate about learning. If it's something that interests me, I'm obsessed with it. Um, I think that most people, they assume that education only happens in a schoolroom. They assume that education stops once they get their degree. And I've never looked at education that way. Education is something that I'm responsible for, not something that a professor is responsible for, or that a teacher is responsible for. So I'm an autodidact. I love learning. I, I read all the time. I'm studying all the time. I'm in, I'm in my early 40s now, and I've never stopped learning. Um, I don't associate school with learning, though. What's up, guys? It's your host, Jerome. I just wanted to let you know that Dreamcatcher looks to work with technical professionals in the areas of self-image, relationship, career, prosperity, health, and significance. If you're looking to make great strides in any one of those areas, please reach out to us at our website, dreamshouldbereal.com, to get more information on our services, and we look forward to connecting with you soon. Nice. And so... You'll get a kick out of this because all the time we've been talking over the past few months, my first job was at Sonic. Right? Nice. And except my experience was very different than yours. And, you know, I wasn't worried about being homeless. And so I ended up quitting because I, what did they want me to do? The manager told me to go clean out the trash can. And it was the most disgusting thing I'd ever seen in my life. Um, you know, they put plastic bags in for a reason, but when you throw in milkshakes and burgers and chili dogs, all in the same thing, and there's no plastic bag in, and you got it, that was, that was my last day there. It was just awful. So um, that, that's kind of, well, it's not kind of, it is heartbreaking to hear that that was your experience, but I think it goes to show, like, people have bigger problems than what a whole lot of people even consider fathomable. And to be working 45 hours, it's kind of hard to go to school and work 45 hours a week, like those two things. And so what it sounds like is you have an impeccable work ethic and you had to prioritize um, things based on survival and just being able to have a reasonable life and not so much what the system puts on you. So, you know, kudos for you to you for, you know, being willing to make a decision to do what, you know, was most important for you. Um, that's, that's a big deal. Um, and so one of the things I like most about you is like, you actually want to get to know the clients and their motivation before you start writing for them. And, you know, as we went through the process of, 
creating our funnel when, you know, emails and all the things that go with that. Um, you, you did a whole lot of polling and testing and questioning. And so where did that come from, that interest in the client and not just in creating the product and getting the check? Um, I love people, especially people that I've, I connect with and I get a good feeling from. I'm a very, uh, I dig the human race. I love us. I think that we have some flaws. We have some things that we still need to work out, but I think that most people are generally good. And I also only like working with certain types of people. I've been doing this for about 10 years now, and I've had a lot of nightmare clients. I've had a lot of people that I took their money and then realized I don't want to work for this person. And so I had to refund their money or I had to suffer through um, working on a project that I obligated myself with somebody else's money to do. Now I'm very picky about who I take on. And the most important thing to me is, do I like this person? Do I enjoy this person? Do I believe in what they're doing? And do they believe in what they're doing? And so those are when I'm qualifying clients, when I'm talking to people, I won't even get, I won't even take a job until I've gotten a sense of who is this person? Is this somebody that I could sit down and I could, you know, have a long conversation with on the patio in a cool night and talk about cool things with them and really enjoy their company. And if it's not, then I don't want them as a client. Is this somebody who I believe in what they're doing? Are they doing some, are they just a greedy capitalist trying to make some money off of exploiting people's ignorance? Then I don't want to work with them. But if this is somebody who's passionate about what they're doing, if this is somebody who believes in what they're doing, if this is somebody who believes in themselves, then I want to be there for them. I want to do whatever I can for them. So I always, when I'm qualifying people, when I'm going through my calls with people, that's, I want to make sure that they can pay for it. I want to make sure that they actually need what I can do. I want to make sure that they're going to be able to leverage what I can do for them. But the most important thing is I want to make sure that what they're doing, I can get excited about and what they're doing and who they are. I can enjoy talking with them. And so when it comes down to actually doing the work, it's not that difficult because I made sure this is somebody I want to work for. This is somebody, this is a project I want to promote. This is somebody who I want to succeed. And when I go into a job with that mindset, being driven to figure out all of the things that are going to make it work, being driven to figure out all of the things that are going to connect with their audience and are going to drive their audience to take the action that they want them to take. Um, that's all secondary. It's, it's, uh, just a natural consequence of making sure that the people I take on as clients are people that I actually want to work with and work for. And I was super interesting about what you said, and we've had a previous guest say something similar is basically everybody can't work with me, right? I've had enough clients and I know who I want to work with and who I don't want to work with. Early on, did you feel like you had that option or did you have to just take what came like, at what point did you become successful enough that you're like, Hey, I, I don't need your money. Early on, I took a lot of jobs that I regretted taking on. Um, I, I, when I first started trying to get clients other than just the, the, like I said, my friend that worked for clear channel, he just handed me the job. He was like, Hey, 
our copywriter quit. We need some ads written. Can you do this for me? Um, I also, uh, I worked for a company called Positive Gaming. Um, they made a dance. It was kind of like Dance Dance Revolution. It was like a dance console that was sold to uh, like fitness place, workout gyms and stuff like that. Um, those two jobs kind of landed in my lap because the owners of the companies were people that I knew. Um, trying to go get other people, trying to get on calls with other people and trying to convince people to let me write an ad for them, even though I'd only been doing it for a year or I'd only had four jobs before or they had no idea who I was. I just stalked them on LinkedIn or I stalked them on Facebook until they finally decided to get on a call. And I tried to pressure them into, into buying my services. Um, I was stuck in that mindset for probably the good, the first five years of my career of doing this. And it wasn't until uh, I think two things happened. Number one, discovering how much I was worth, realizing that we, as whatever we're doing, we, it's abundant to us. All this knowledge that we have, we don't put as much value on it because we're like, oh man, this just comes right to me. It's easy for me to figure this stuff out. I can look at it and I can look at your problem and I can be like, oh, you need to do this. You need to do this and you need to do this. It's simple. And it's not very valuable to us because it's so abundant. But to other people, the people that are desperate for our help, they're like, this is a life or death thing for me. This is, this is something that can alter the path that I'm going on. You don't see it as very valuable, but they see it as the most valuable thing that they can get right now. And realizing that, realizing, okay, I'm incredibly valuable to the right people. And so I need to stop trying to force myself on the, right, on the wrong people and only find the people that I'm really valuable for and only work with those people. Um, that was when I started doing that, I stopped lowballing myself. I stopped, uh, letting people pay me a fraction of what I was worth. I stopped taking on clients that I hated working with. And, um, that was only within the last like three or four years that I had that mindset shift. But I think that that's what it really came down to is realizing I'm not for everybody. I don't need to force myself on people that I'm not for. I don't need to convince people that are the wrong people to buy my services. I only need to go after the right people. I only need to go after the people that I actually want to work with. And I need to charge what I'm worth. And that was, uh, I think that that was the biggest mindset shift and the biggest shift in my business as well. Was there somebody that showed up to help you make that shift? Yeah, Landon Porter. He's, uh, he's, he's actually one of my clients and I'm one of his clients. It's weird how that works out. But um, he, he, was, he, was, uh, he worked with a lot of Fortune 500 companies. He was one of the best salesmen in the world at a, at a, at a time when he was actually doing sales. And his approach is totally different. 
everybody that I was reading, I read like the Wolf of Wall Street guys book. And I read all these different, I read Grant Cardone books and I read all these different guys books about how to sell. And it's just pressure. It's just overcome objections and force them to buy and close them into a corner where they have no choice but to buy. And I was trying that and it just didn't work for me, man. It got me stuck with all kinds of clients that I hated. It's got me stuck with jobs I didn't like doing. It got me stuck lowballing myself being like, okay, maybe their objection is price. Maybe if I cut my price in half, they'll buy it that way. And um, I hated doing it that way. And Landon was like, nah, dude, that's not how you do it. You just figure out what it is that you do, who it is that really needs it and who it is of those people that you really want to work with. And from now on, when you get on calls, it's not about trying to get somebody to buy. It's about trying to make sure that you actually want to take money from this person. And if you get any feeling at all throughout the call that you don't want this person's money, just tell them no right then. Just be like, no, yeah, this sounds great, but I don't think that this is going to work. And I don't think that we should work together. And that, that one thing, a sales call is not about trying to convince somebody to buy a sales call is about them trying to convince you that you should take their money. That one thing just totally shifted my entire business. Yeah. And so I, I listened to the interview, I guess it was an interview or a training that you and Landon did. And it was just really interesting to see his approach to dealing with folks in a one-on-one sales call. I mean, it, it's almost when it's all said and done, the people are begging you to work with them. And it's like, wow, it goes from this, it goes from chasing to being chased, uh-huh. but there's still this most important piece that you add, this component that you add, and it's getting them to want to sit down with you because, you know, nobody knowing what you do doesn't do you any good in business. Right. And so, you know, putting it out there and letting people be attracted to it and then making, being able to pick and choose who you want to work with is huge. Um, and so, you know, we're coming up on the end of our time. If people want to learn more about you and, you know, figure out if you guys are a good fit, what's the best way for people to get in contact with you? So my website is copyandfunnels.com. And that's where people can go to discover a little bit about what I do. Um, I also have a community. It's called freemarketsquad.com. And that is the training that you were talking about that me and Landon went through how a sales call works is part of that community. Uh, We also have a five-day training on how to do email marketing. We have trainings on how to post on social media to attract the right type of people. Uh, trainings on how to write sales pages, a bunch of different trainings on how to write sales pages, how to do market research. Um, All of the stuff that I have learned how to do that have made my business successful. And I I go out and I get the people that taught me. So Ben Settle is one of the guys that taught me how to do email marketing. I went out and I got him to do a training on how to do market research. Uh, David Garfinkel, who's one of the world's greatest copywriters, um, he came on and did a, a training on how to write a sales page. Joe Schriefer, who is the copy chief over at Agora Financial, he's like the the main guy that that does all of the like approves and, and trains all the copywriters for one of the most successful businesses in the world. Um, I got him on to do a training on how he teaches his copywriters how to do their sales pages. So 
everything that has built me into the businessman that I am, I wanted to turn around and, and create an environment where people could learn those same things from the people who taught me how to do them. So uh, that's what Free Market Squad is all about. And if you're interested in that, you can go over to freemarketsquad.com and you can check that out there. Awesome, Nathan. I'm glad you mentioned David because you guys kind of do a podcast together that I listen to just about every week. And so it was really interesting to see the way you guys play off of each other because he's like super old school and you're very much a nonconformist. And so to see you guys kind of touch these topics from different vantage points was it's it's really entertaining for me, especially after having an opportunity to work with you. Um, I guess I have maybe two or three more questions. The the first one is you've been through the Myers methods training, <laughs> fortunately or unfortunately, depending on how you look at it. Um, I think you've probably been through all of our different training, the free one in the Facebook, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, having no investing experience from a real estate perspective, what do you think? I mean, was it something that you could consume and it'd be actionable? Like talk to me about the hours and hours and hours that you put into this, because it's, you've listened to stuff multiple times and I've seen you talk about things and it's like, look at that. <laughs> so I'm just going to be hundred percent honest with you. And I hope that you don't take this the wrong way. Um, when I was talking about people not realizing how valuable they are, that's what I got from going through your method. Uh, when you told me this is what we charge for it, and then you, when I do, when I write for anybody, I want to make sure that I go through and I know their product 100% in and out. I went through your product, and the number one thing that I came out on the other side with was Jerome does not understand how valuable this is. Uh, so much information. So, and I wasn't even, I wasn't interested in, in multifamily investing. I was interested in buying houses and renting houses. I wanted, my goal was I want to own three or four properties and I want to rent them out to people. And that's my next investing move. After going through Myers method, I was like, okay, I was totally I had my head up my ass about this and I was totally misinformed about where I should be investing my money at. And I think that after going through it, again, just being completely honest with you, I think that right now that's something that you're probably suffering from is that you have all this knowledge, you have all this information, it's abundant to you and it's free to you. And you don't realize how life-changing, or maybe you do, but you just haven't taken that and manifested it into how you're going to position yourself and your, and your product going forward. But that was the biggest takeaway that I came out of it was, wow, this is so much more valuable than what he's charging for it. So um, again, I suffer from this. Almost every single entrepreneur I know suffers from it's basic economics. If something is, if something is in short supply, we value it. If something is in, in readily available supply, we don't value it as much. And so as entrepreneurs, as people that provide something, we tend to not value it as much as the people who are trying to get it. And that was 
that was the main takeaway that I got when I, when I came out the other side, I was just like, holy crap, this should be a $40,000 course. There's no way that this should be a two or a $3,000 course. Yeah. It's, uh, it's always interesting to get people's perspective on things. Um, and I think it also goes back to this whole concept you were mentioning of getting in front of the right people and then sorting through those people to make sure that you are working with the people that this makes sense for. And then the four steps you use to qualify folks, I think is also amazing. And I think the most important one is can they afford it, right? Not from a standpoint of that's more important than anything else that you're offering. But if you're talking to people who can't afford it, then they're going to want to beat you down on the price because they can't afford it, even if they have the desire and have the ability to use what you're offering. And so getting out of that mission, and you said this to me directly, you're like, Jerome, you either running a business or running a mission. You don't do both at the same time. And I thought that was uh, pretty telling because um, when you have a heart for people and you want to help people, um, it's often that you take this approach of, well, I just give it away. It doesn't matter the abundance mentality, but the reality of the situation is that you often water down what you're doing and when you do that. And I know coming from where you came from and where you've gone, um, wanting to reach back and help people is important for you. And I think many of the things that you've said to me is you just being further along on the journey and you see me going through the same steps that you've gone through. And so, you know, it's pretty cool to get that mentorship and that help. And so, you know, David, I'm sorry, Nathan, I was thinking about David Garfinkel. Um, What's the one gift that you're giving the world right now? Oh gosh. Uh, I'm a greedy capitalist. I don't give nothing away for free. (laughs) Um, the, I, I think the one gift that I'm giving the world is, man, it makes me sound like all uh, holier than thou to even <laughs> ponder on this question. Uh, I'll say this. I grew up very poor and I grew up very entitled and I grew up being told, you're poor because rich people are oppressing you and you're poor because the system is holding you down and you're poor because systemic oppression and blah, 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 all this bull crap. And I grew up believing that the world owed me, that rich people owed me, that people who were better off than me owed me. And my life sucked up until the point where I realized nobody owes me anything. In fact, I owe the world. And when I had that shift in my thinking of, am I adding to the people around me? Am I being somebody who other people, their lives are better for having me in it? I'm not trying to take from people. I'm not trying to get what they owe me. I'm trying to give to people. I'm trying to add, you know, value to their lives, add uh, whatever it is to their lives. So Now, in all of my relationships, that's what it's all about for me. It's about making sure that this person's life is better for having me in it and trying to spread that message. And it's important to me because I see so many people. I see even people who are, you know, well off, come out of college and come from upper middle class homes and still think that the world owes them. And that mindset, I bought into it my whole life up until my early 20s. And 
it was such a destructive, toxic way of living. And so now for me, the opposite is true. I want to, I want to make sure that I'm giving as much as I possibly can. I want to make sure that when people, when people look back at the relationship with me, if I, if I were to die tomorrow from coronavirus, I want to make sure that everybody that knew me said, Hey, that guy was such an amazing guy. That guy was nothing but giving that guy did everything he could to make sure that my life was better because he was in it. Um, I think that might sound kind of cheesy, but the power of looking at the world as what can I give to other people rather than what can other people give to me? Um, it's, it's, it's such a huge mindset shift and it starts opening up all these opportunities that you weren't able to see before. And it starts opening up a different way of living and a different way of engaging with people. And I would say that if we could just leave the listeners with one thing, that's what I would want them to leave with is stop thinking about what the world owes you and start thinking about what you can give to the people that are important to you. That is awesome, man. I really appreciate you being so generous with your time and and sharing with the listeners. We'll link up your websites in the show notes and guys, if you made it to this point of the podcast, you really enjoy what Nathan and I talked about. So do us a favor share this with a friend, family member who is struggling in business and looking to figure out how to get this copywriting thing going. Um, Give us a like and a five-star rating. And with that, we'll talk to you guys on the next episode. Thanks again, Nathan. Thank you. Thank you for joining the tribe today. We would love to hear from you. Please don't forget to rate, like, and share. Perhaps someone you know could benefit from what we've discussed. Until the next time, remember that your dreams should be real.